Okay, the Orisha Podcast, back at it again. And uh, this segment, we're dealing with uh, children, and in particular, the, the role that children play in not only Ifa, Orisha studies, but uh, more specifically, just in our journey through uh, the discernment and a dissecting of culture, spirituality, and even even the understanding of religion. So essentially, uh, there is a plague that uh, has swept through and has been sweeping through uh, the collectives of what we would call conscious people, for those who call themselves conscious, or those who call themselves dealing with uh, higher awareness or even uh, more in-depth life mathematics. And for some, uh, the problem originates in their foundations and what they build their understanding on, all right? So uh, what happens a lot of times is many people who come into consciousness or higher awareness come because they have been shifted or they have shifted themselves out of a religious environment or maybe even a, a pseudo spiritual environment and you know sometimes they leave because there were certain answers that they were looking for certain understandings that they were looking for that that particular environment did not have the capacity to provide to them so they left right so what happens is sometimes because there's deeply ingrained and deeply inset uh, psychological values that people tend to take on and hold on to, what ends up happening is that they take that same religious mindset and they bring it with them wherever they go, okay? So uh, when they get into traditional African uh, systems or indigenous systems, they replace, I'm going to go pray about this, I'm going to go speak to God about this with, I'm going to go talk to my ancestors. I'm going to go lay before my altar. They replace, uh, amen with Ashe, you know, not placing it right, not pronouncing it right, but just, you know, transcribing one feeling from one place to another. And essentially, it's all based around feeling, okay? So what happens is, not only do they end up transmuting that same ideology of, a re of religion and, and waiting for something to do something for them, and looking in the sky for the mystery and not understanding that once you come into consciousness that you're not dealing with mysteries anymore even though we like to use the term like comedic mystery systems or comedic mystery schools there is no mystery when you get into higher awareness none of this is a mystery the orisha or we say you know babalao means the father of mystery uh no because a mystery is something that is, is provided in order to shroud the truth for as long as it possibly can. It's not meant to be taught or unlocked. There was a stark difference between a mystery and a secret. Okay, so a secret school, secret doctrine or secret learning is meant to be unveiled and revealed to a certain people or a certain person at a certain time based on them meriting themselves as a student who was able to receive 
the substance of the content that sits inside of that secret. So in that, you have one of the greatest or, or the largest distinctions between religion and consciousness. Consciousness seeks to crack, crack open the secret, whereas religion seeks to maintain the mystery. All right. So what happens is that people transcribe that idea and that thought of maintaining the mystery when they get into their consciousness. And what that does is it removes them from the seat of accountability because there's no do for selfism when there's a mystery. When I can say, well, I, I hope my ancestors provide this or I hope the Orisha do this, you know, or so forth and so on, I can stay within the realm of not really knowing how things work. And before I go further, let me, you know, um, kind of... Um, give reason for the background ambient noise uh i'm driving <laughs> so those of you who have who listened to the chief yuya podcast that i just did you heard all i was driving through a rainstorm so now i'm out of the rainstorm but i'm i'm on a rough patch of a highway so you know it's, it's there's some noise but uh i know you can still hear my voice and that's all that really matters right the background noise does nothing other than uh maybe maybe provide some context <laughs> for the work. But anyway, so again, we're speaking about how we build our foundations a lot of times of spirituality and consciousness on sand. So what happens is when people begin to question us about what we're doing, how we're doing it, or why we're doing it, we really cannot provide clear answers. We can't provide clear answers. Or we, we question those who would uh, posture themselves as our instructors, as our guides, you know, um, as our leaders. They do not provide clear answers. So we even get into the habit of speaking in abstract poetry. You ask someone something, they never give you a direct answer, and they think it's almost cute, as if they're saying something really profound because they said something that you don't understand. It doesn't make you profound. If I say something like, so why do you go to your ancestral altar? And then you might answer and say, well, just the very fact that you asked shows that you have a reason to go to your ancestors. That's, that's stupid. And I can't tell you how many, how many times I've spoken to clients and students and I've asked questions like that. And they think that you're not going to get that over on me. Because I'm not asking the question because I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. I'm asking the question to highlight to you that you don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. But we, we get locked into these patterns of slick talk. And where do we get the patterns of slick talk? Where does it come from? Well, it, it comes from, one, our insecurities of inwardly knowing that we, we're not making real change and transformation. So we have to project the outward appearance of that. You know, it's, I'm not changing on the inside, but maybe I can make it look like that on the outside. And then we also get it from our teachers and from our would-be leaders because we have hordes of people who have figured out how to profit off of the ignorance and the churchification of, of groups of people. So they'll stand in front of you, and what they tend to do is they use emotion to try to inspire you towards their particular goal or what they're trying to do. So you'll find that they use a lot of elevated volume 
you know, uh, they use a lot of profanity, you know, and when it's not profanity, it's, it's uh, a lot of harsh or vulgar language for the purpose of trying to influence you or even to um, shame you into a certain way of thinking or a certain point. Okay. So everything becomes now preacher hype. There's all this, this emotion that has to be displayed constantly. And why? Because emotion is spirit. Emotion, electricity in motion, energy in motion. What is a spirit? Breath. Breath is what? Energy in motion. You know, an exhalation of, of what's on the inside, of the unseen coming to the scene, motivating, you know, the material or the physical reality. So emotions will also motivate the physical reality. Whether, you know, someone expresses fear, they express joy, they express anger, they express despair, disappointment, whatever it is that they decide to express, which is a, an outletting, you know, it can motivate you to do certain things, you see. So people who are coming from that perspective, who are functioning within the realms of churchification and uh, religious mystery, will always utilize emotions to corner you into a certain space. They won't utilize wisdom. And what happens is, from years of you receiving that, you develop a distaste for wisdom. So when someone provides wisdom to you, it's just too dry. It's just too dry. You know, um, it doesn't motivate you. You're looking for something you can feel. Well, I'm, I'm not feeling that. I didn't feel it in the same way as when so-and-so said it. I felt that. You see, because you're used to the preacher hype. And it also allows you not to ask yourself some very fundamental questions that you don't want to ask because it may totally rock and disrupt the foundations of what it is that you're doing. But see, if you don't understand what it is that you're doing, then you're not going to include the proper ingredients into whatever mixture it is you're trying to create for your life. You may be trying to bake yourself a cake and you're putting in um, a loaf of bread with some, some raw beef and uh, paprika, cinnamon, you know, uh, molasses, and, um, you know, some ginger. And you say, yeah, I'm going to make myself this nice uh, chocolate cake. So you got the ingredients all mixed up. And what happens? After you, you bake that monstrosity, and you take it out of your oven and you taste it and it's distasteful, you're angry. You're angry because you're saying this, this didn't work. But it's because you didn't look at the ingredients that you were using in order to create the reality that you ended up with. You see? So now what you do is you sit the cake on the table and you say, well, if I let it sit there long enough, maybe it will taste like a chocolate cake. You see? Or maybe I shouldn't even have a chocolate cake. This is better than a chocolate cake. You see, so your original intent gets swayed because of your your laziness and your your unwillingness to go back from the fat to the foundations 
and really look at what is it that I'm doing? What am I doing here? What are the ingredients to my reality? Now, as I told you in the very beginning, this segment is about the role that children play. What is the purpose and the meaning of children as it pertains to, to our spirituality, to Ifa, to traditional um, systems, Akibalanic systems? Or for me, I just say the, the way original people do things. Sometimes you'll hear me say African systems, whatever, but I, honestly, that's really not the language that I personally use. I just use that because um, I haven't done a show yet just dealing with the lexicon of Anu and the words that we use and the phrases. But um, I don't consider myself an African as most would see it or me practicing an African religion or anything like that. I'm not practicing anything. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm perfecting my original way of being, right? But that sounds a bit abstract to people. So it's important to be able to speak to people in a language that they can process and then slowly try to raise them up out of the marshes and moors of uh, their misunderstandings. So that's one of the things that children provide for us. Children provide a beautiful way of raising us out of, up out of the cemetery of our churchification. By, by addressing things in a simple manner. I remember when I was very young, probably about seven or eight years old, I had asked one of my elders who smoked cigarettes, and I asked him, why do you smoke? And he paused for a good while, and he said, you know, I don't know. And for days, for strongs, for months, for years later, he always brought that moment up and he, it tickled him. He would laugh about it all the time, you know, until the day he died, which he died. Uh, he had a lung issue from smoking cigarettes for so long. But he would always say, man, yeah, I remember that time you asked me why I smoked and I, I couldn't give you one good reason. But he didn't stop doing it. But you see, that's what children do. Because I'm looking at them saying, man, this stuff stinks. Whenever you light one of these things up, everybody wants to leave the room. Or you have to leave the room. Or you have to go outside and it's cold outside and it's rainy. And you got to go outside just to put this thing in your mouth. And I don't get it. Why, why would you want to do that? You see, maybe you're not aware of your own imprints. You're not aware of... The, own, the, the, the ideas that are sitting down in your subconscious mind that compel you to do certain things. But children come through fresh and new. They don't have that yet. So this is one of the reasons why I urge people, and I, I often have said it, do not teach your children spirituality until they come to the age of reason. I have so many clients and students that I work with who come to me and they say, yeah, man, you know, my, my son or my daughter loves to go to the shrine themselves. They, sometimes they ask if they can go talk to the ancestors or they can go to the shrine and they like to put water on the, on, on the shrine or they like to light the incense of the shrine. Of course they like doing that because children like to play make-believe. So we look at it like it's some deep sign that they want to do these things. You see? And 
what we're excited about is that we've been able to program our children. That's what we're excited about. Why are we putting water on the shrines? You see, if you notice with a child, they're first reactive. They're first, and, and I, I don't know if I can call it reactive. I'm gonna call it, I'm, I'm gonna take it a step further, further and call it responsive. Their first responsive direction, whenever we're doing things that seem nonsensical, is the question why? Why? And often, if we can't intelligently answer that question, we'll give them our programming. And then we'll ask why again. Why do, why do we celebrate Christmas, Mommy? Oh, that's the day Jesus was born, and we celebrate his birth. Why? Because he, you know, is the savior of the world. He died for our sins. Why? Well, you know what, sweetheart? Some things we're just not going to know and, until we you know, until we get to see Jesus face to face. Now the child walks away scratching their head, and, but at the same time knowing, well, that doesn't make any sense. But eventually we can shame them, fear them, abuse them into accepting the fairy tale. But see, why is the question that seeks understanding? And the truth is, when your child asks the question why, it gives you an opportunity to look at your foundations. Because your foundations begins with what, which is the knowledge. Knowledge is your what question. Wisdom is your how question. How is this done? And why is this done becomes your understanding question. So when a child asks why, if you can't take them back to knowledge, to understanding, then you don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it. You need to let it alone and get some understanding. Go back to the knowledge portion. How many times, and many of you clients I'm sure can bear witness to this, you've talked to me, I've asked you, do you have an altar in your home? Oh yeah, I do. What's on your altar? And I ask you what's on it. Then the next question I ask is, why? Oh, yeah, I got my water on there. I got my pictures of my ancestors. I got some food on there. I got this because my grandfather liked his pipe and this and that. Why did you put water on there? Why is there food on there? Why are there candles? Why is it on a white tablecloth? Why did you put it in this room? Why did you put it in that room? Well, that, that's what I was told to do. Uh-huh. See, religiosity. So what a child does and what a, a teacher is supposed to do, sometimes we have to take on that child mind when I say, well, why'd you do that? I already know that. I already know why you did it. But I, I have to take on the role of a child for a moment and give you an opportunity to go back to knowledge, go back to your foundations. Not what someone told you, not what you believe, because what we're doing is not based on belief. But what do you know? Okay, I, you know, well, this is what it is. This is how it's done. And this is why it's done. You see? And if you can instill that form of, of thinking and functioning within your child, then now you create a high-functioning being. So a child's purpose is like the four vultures that sit on the corners of the earth each and, and devouring 
A child is like a scavenger. What, what does a scavenger do? It, it, well, it eats the dead things. It purifies the earth by eating things that are dead that could release toxins as they're rotting and decaying. So the child will take all of your dead old information and ask you, well, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? I remember many years ago speaking to one of my youth and she, um, she had a lot of trouble reconciling some of the things I told her about dealing with equal landing. And at the time she was about nine years old and I had, I was doing a lesson with the children on the Gullah Islands and I was teaching them about the Gullah and, and that whole experience and of course Igbo Landing and shared with them about the reports of some of the ancestors flying back home to the continent. And when they shared that, well this, you know, with another adult, one of them said, oh, that's just your father making up stuff. You know, your father's crazy, right? So my youth came back to me and said, well, so-and-so said that that didn't happen and people can't fly. And in that moment, I had to admit that I didn't have any proof. So, it, you know, my saving grace was I spoke about the reports. Well, this is what was said. And most of the time, that's how I, I speak unless I, I have firsthand knowledge and evidence, I'll say, well, this is what was reported, this is what was said, this is the mythology of this, this is what was alleged. But it gave me also an opportunity to speak to them about wind currents and the fact that there are certain ancestral ceremonies that were particularly done in Kemet where people would, would basically wind glide. This is where you get the understanding or the story of flying carpets, which was a real thing. But they weren't actually carpets. They were like boards, you know, of a material similar to almost how we would look at plastic. And they had such understanding of wind currents that they were able, at certain times of year, they would give honor to the energies of the wind and they would dive off of the cliffs on these boards, but they would be able to glide down to the bottom, you see. And then later, that came into, that, that became the legend and the folklore of flying carpets and things like that, okay? So that's going back to knowledge. What are we talking about? How was it done? Why was it done? What we're talking about is, you know, uh, wind gliding. How was it done? By understanding wind currents and using um, aerodynamic pieces of board that they were able to use to fly down on. Why was it done? in devotion to certain um, energies of, of the wind and current. Simple, you see. So whenever you're measuring anything you're doing spiritually, why are you doing it? So we replace again, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to bring this to the Lord. I'm gonna have to talk to the Lord about this. We replace that with, yeah, I'm gonna have to go to the ancestors about that. What's that? How are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Because a child will ask a question, how do you know the ancestors are talking to you? I don't see any ancestors, where are they at? Oh, the ancestors live inside of here, inside of this pot, 
inside of this, inside of that. Okay, well, can we talk to him? Open it up. Let's look at him. How do I know that this is just not my own thoughts? You're telling me it's the ancestors. How do I know it's just not me telling me this stuff? These are all very valid questions. And you'll find that if you can start going through this purging or accepting the um, gift of the purge, <laughs> if you will, that children are offering to us, you'll find that you'll put yourself in a space where you become more powerful in what it is that you're doing. Now, does that mean that you'll end up stripping some things away? Absolutely. Going back to the example again of people building the bovedas or, or their, their, their shrines or their jingilis and me asking questions. Well, why'd you put that there? Why'd you put that there? And many, I know again, can bear witness. I've said, take all that stuff off of there. Huh? Take it all off. Some of you know, I know you're nodding your head up and down. Yeah, he told me to do that. And I've said, only put on your shrine what you understand. And if that ends up being an acorn, if that ends up just being a leaf or a letter, that's fine. And as your understanding increases, then you can add more elements. But if you don't know why this is there and that's there and you went to the Botanica and they sold me this and they told me to put this oil up there and put these anchors up there and these railroad spikes up there and this iron pot up there and this doll up there and all these different things. If you don't know why you're doing that, take it off. Because, see, now you're, in, you're reinvesting into the churchification and the mystery. When we're not dealing with mystery. We're not serving and worshiping mystery. Those of us who are really doing this. Now, I know, I know there's going to be some, some bounce back, some pushback on this. And people are going to say, so you saying I shouldn't pray to my ancestors? You know, again, there's a higher mind, there's a lower mind. I'm primarily talking to our new people. So I always have to now make that distinction very clear. I'm not talking to the entire Internet. I'm not. Just because you have the ability to... to go on your phone and go on YouTube doesn't necessarily mean that you have the wherewithal and the intellect to understand what's being said. A lot of times many things go over people's heads and unfortunately they mix ignorance and arrogance together. It's okay to be ignorant. That's fine. There's many things that I'm ignorant of. But I'm not arrogant. So it's through your humility that you're able to now understand things, to know things. But once you show that arrogance or you're, you're insulting, which, you know, that goes to a deeper imprint. Most of the time people will get on the comments and start casting dispersions and insults because they hate me. Why do they hate me? Well, they were trained to. That's all. They were trained to. Because it primarily comes from people who look like me and pigmentation and hair texture. That's primarily who does that. Because you were trained to hate me and disrespect me. As at one point, I was trained and conditioned to disrespect and hate you. Now, some of us are able to push beyond basic training <laughs> and push beyond our conditioning and see it for what it really is and crack open the, the, the secret of it. And some of us never get out of it. So we walk around 
with that always, you know, name calling, never being able to unite under truth, never being able to build anything. You see, and again, it's because what we're what we've already built our own understanding on and our own existence on is shaky. We've built our house on sand. We haven't been able to balance ourselves. We haven't been able to balance our existence on solid ground. We haven't been able to balance on four points because we haven't found a home on anything stable because we're still planting our understanding. We're still planting our beliefs on Wakanda, on some fictional idea of what we are, on some fictional place that seeks to depict what we are, but we haven't allowed our children to disperse the spookism. We haven't listened to the children. And that is their primary gift. Yeah, they're, they're cute and they say funny things. And, you know, children allow us sometimes to step outside of our comfort zones because there's certain things that they want to do that we wouldn't normally do. You know, they, they take us to county fairs and they want to go to the park and, you know, they want to go over to this one's party. And normally we don't even socialize with other adults that much but now that we have children we find ourselves socializing more and all of these great things yeah absolutely but those that's just bonus material <laughs> that's just bonus material the premier feature of what they do is they raise us from our deadened state by getting rid of spookism by putting us on solid ground if we truly respect and listen to them. If we don't seek to try to program them the moment they come out. We say we're going to do this. Well, why are we going to do that? Hey, let's go into the shrine and, and do so forth and so on. Why? They'll cause you to look at certain things. Like I said in the last Chief Yuya broadcast, people are calling me all the time for wealth rituals. I get messages in my inbox chief can i get a and i'm not going to give you no i don't function that way i've said that a million times but y'all ain't listening because you only hear what you want to hear don't get in my inbox and start talking for spiritual talk, asking for spiritual advice when you know that i already have a service where i provide that what are you doing why are you disrespecting me and what i do like that do you go into a doctor's inbox and say hey doc here's a here's a picture of my testicle i noticed that one is drooping longer than the other what do you think that is? What is the doctor going to say? Um, please do not send me pictures of your testicles. And you're going to have to come and you have to schedule a consultation. Right? But anyway. So people will always, Chief, I, I want to know this. Chief, I want to know that. Okay, well, let's start you back with knowledge. Let's start you there. And like the questions I always ask, like I said in the last Chief Yuya broadcast, have you read my books? Are you in my class? Nah, nah, nah. So you want to jump to wisdom. Yo, how do I do a wealth ritual? Do you know what a wealth ritual is? Nope. Do you understand why you would need a wealth ritual? Nope. Just tell me the how. You see, so you're messing up the order before you even get the ingredients, you're not even putting the cake together in the right order. You're not, you're not putting the soup together in the right order. 
you're putting a bunch of uh, uh, ingredients. You're putting your, you know, your beans and and your vegetables and your seasonings in a pot, and you're just turning the heat on. No water, no oil. And then when it all burns up and stinks, then you pour water over it after that. And then you expect someone to accept that. And when someone says, oh, wait a minute, man, we got to throw that out, what's the first thing you say? Oh, man, nothing I do is right. You telling me I got to start over from the beginning. But there's some things that got me to where I am today, and I don't want to get rid of those things. There's some good things that I've acquired in my life. And then I have to say, well, those things that you think are good are actually not good, and they're actually killing you. You need to get rid of them. Now we got a problem. You see. But it is the children, again, that give us our base foundation of removing spookism. Allow your children to remove the spookism out of your existence. All right. That has been a Arisha broadcast. Uh, for readings, askosiris.com. Uh, to listen to more of the podcast, you can go to thearisha.com and for coaching, osirislife.com. All right. Until such time, this has been Chief Yuya. Peace. <laughs>